Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Raiders Review with Blake and the Pork. I'm Tim Gore from ABC Radio and theraw.com.au and joining me is Blake Budak from the legendary Canberra institution Landspeed Records. Hey Tim, or Pork, sorry. Yeah, well, either either is fine. <laughs> now we're here to talk about the Canberra Raiders, uh, what uh, happened in 2017, and what we're hoping will happen in 2018. Yeah, let's, let's let's sort of look forward to the future and not dwell um, too much on last year because it was one of those years that were ultimately very disappointing for everyone, and uh, it was probably disappointing because the expectations were so high on the back of a very successful, surprisingly successful 2016. We all thought we were going to go one step further and maybe actually, you know, win another premiership, um, which is something I've, I've begin to doubt at certain times whether I will actually see again in my lifetime. But yeah, no, I think we have to stay strong in that respect, and I, I think there was a lot of stage from 2016 was such a good season, especially in the run home from it, um, and that many there was the biggest home membership that we've had since 1995, yeah, um, and that reflected how the optimism of that side, but not just in the fact there was there was great results on the field, it was the fact that that team I think impressed more than lots of other teams. In 2010, there was a great run to the finals, as there was in 2008, but I don't think either garnered the excitement that the 2016 season did. It's true, it's true. We did actually, I mean, well, we beat the top sides, you know, going into the finals, we beat both uh, Melbourne and Cronulla, but unfortunately, they got us in the big games. Mm. So, talking about 2017, what, mm. what do you think went wrong? Well, there are a number of factors, and we have to remember that those who do not learn from the mistakes of history are condemned to repeat them. So, let's look at those things. That sounds like the Canberra Raiders, though. As, as a fan, it does feel as though we're always making the same mistakes, we're always doing the same things. It well, just feels like not. deja vu all over again, as Rex Mossop would say. Yes, it does indeed. Um, but what went wrong? I think the number one thing that went wrong in the season was ball control. I think a lot of the time early in the season, we were trying to play too flashy and we were putting yeah. too many balls down that were costing us matches that shouldn't have been lost yeah. or gifting matches to opposition sides. There was a bit of bad luck that came into a, a few results. Um, a few bad decisions came in, and I know people always complain to me about, oh, you can't point at every bad decision because every side gets them, but there was a couple... Oh, bad refereeing decisions. Yeah, round yeah. one against the uh, Cowboys uh, when Jordan Rapana was called back from a forward pass for what would have been the winning try, yeah. and the replay showed at very, very worst it was inconclusive, but Brett Suttle, the, the linesman, ex-first-grade uh, referee, called it. Um, also, the person who got Jack White suspended for uh, brushing him on one occasion. Um, so, a person to be avoided. But I think for mine, the point in the season last year, and it wasn't just losing the close games, but there was a certain nadir in the season, the low point, which was the loss to Penrith in Bathurst, where you're yes. leading by eight points with under two minutes to go and somehow, somehow lose the match. It was, it was surprising, but yet it wasn't surprising because you feel as a Raiders supporter, if there's ever a team that can lose a match by eight, when they're up by eight points with two minutes to go, it's the Raiders. No, but it's one thing they should. And, and a lot of the commentators have basically said, if the Raiders can't grind out tight wins in, in ugly circumstances, then that's what's costing them. And if you actually look back at the Storm season last year, that wasn't perfect. There was a lot of ground ugly wins in that, and that's what the Raiders were missing. There yeah. was some pretty stuff as well, but... The problem with the loss to Penrith in Bathurst was it absolutely gutted the side. They'd just come off a loss to Newcastle, unexpected loss to Newcastle the week before, and they were in control of the game, and then all of a sudden, things went the shape of a pair. Matt Moylan weaved some magic. They targeted a, a weak spot in the line. They went through it twice and scored. You know, They had to basically play touch football to do it. 
The Raiders side was demoralised for a month after that. I think their fans were as well. <laughs> I, look, uh, one of my friends, when I was texting, he said uh, he couldn't text, he was going to look for some rope. And look, you know, it's not that serious, but at the same time... Yeah, it was, it was a dark night. It was a dark night in Bathurst, wasn't and it? within that, then, and I'll get to this particular player later, there were some ball control issues where someone was particularly profligate with their ball control. Mm. And had that person actually on a couple of occasions just held the ball and ma- and allowed the Raiders to maintain field position, that may not have happened at all. And I so when it comes down to what needs to change for 2018, I only have one comment. Hold the ball. Ball control. Yeah. I mean, touching on the ball control thing, I mean, I, I'm a big Jack Whiten fan. I love his physicality. I love his passion. I love his defence. Um, but in terms of a, a top-line fullback, you look at the fullbacks in the top teams, they don't make two mistakes a game. They don't drop the ball twice a game. He, You're the stats man. You could probably back this up one way or another, but feels like he's good for about two drops a game, and sometimes they can be real turning points. He's had some very rough periods yeah. um, in his career, and he's definitely a confidence player. He's definitely led the error rates, um, but his line breaks, his assists, his tackle breaks, and his ability to chime in has been improving the whole time, and it's something Ricky really has faith in. It's not oh, look, something he's likely to change. Yeah, and, and in terms of like almost um, in the recent times where we've seen a lot of small ball-playing fullbacks and that's become the real focus, he actually is, still has that strong last line of defence, which is almost a bit of a lost art form uh, of and, the fullback of these days. And I think that's one of the major reasons he was there. He was replacing Anthony Milford, who was basically a turnstile or a speed bump in defence. Yeah. If it was one-on-one with Anthony Milford, you know, you were, you were through. You were going to score the try. He might be right there with you because he was fast enough that he wasn't going to tackle you. Whereas if you get through and it's your one-on-one with Jack White... Yeah, you could be absolutely smashed. You could be absolutely <laughs> smashed. And it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter who you are. He's going to throw his body. The, the boy from Orange is crazy. I, he, and he's going to throw his body at you. Whatever. What, I can't remember what year he made his first grade debut, whether it was like 2012 or 2013. Whenever he made his first grade debut, he played one game of, uh, of the under-20s that year. And I watched that game and it was honestly frightening. The defense, defensive hits he were putting, was putting on people. He was absolute every tackle. He was absolutely destroying people, and it's just his timing. It was just twenty twelve that he made his first. Yeah, to so this must have been the round one under twenties twenty twelve, and he was just destroying players in the other team. Well, in the semi final for the under twenties against the Warriors, I was doing the sideline for that, and he was actually on the bench for the twenties because oh, he came back, didn't they he? They, yeah, and uh, and he, he was on the bench, and the the Raiders right-hand side in defence was being absolutely targeted and there was this massive unit called Licky Licky. Yeah. He um, wasn't here, side. He was a massive unit. Also disappeared from the game. Yes. Absolutely disappeared. Yes. Went to Newcastle and never heard no, from him again. But he was run out in the wing like Matt Dunning for the Waratahs. It was, you know? it was crazy. I remember that game. Well, and yeah. he was smashing through and basically, um, it was I think it was Matt Allwood that was out there yeah, for the right. Raiders. And um, he was terrified and he was dropping the ball when then the Licky Licky lined him up and Licky Licky was running through and they were making a lot of mistakes. Jack Whiten came on and they tried to do the same thing. Licky Licky lined him up, went straight at him. Jack wore it, bounced off him, went through the line, ran 35 metres upfield and the game changed on, you know, on its head. And the Raiders won that game easily. And it was on the back of the fact that Jack was 18 years old, but he was not scared. No. And he was completely up for it. And that's one of the reasons that I absolutely love him. Yeah. And he's dedicated to the cause. So 
is he the world's best fullback? Perhaps not, but he's certainly got a lot, and he's dedicated to the side. And yeah. As a result, you know, he's you know we're we're pulling in behind him. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the other um, big issue coming into this season is uh, with our best player has unfortunately done his ACL, Josh mm. Hodgson. Mm. Um, and so you know, number nine is a position that's. Uh, Really up in the air. Absolutely. And it's the most, you know, in my opinion, and this is talking about a person who had Steve Walters as his favourite player for many, many years, the number nine in any side, and Camp Smith has shown this, is absolutely vital. So how do you cover for the loss of Josh Hodgson? Well, you don't. You, yeah. you, you put a stopcap measure. You can't cover for a player of that calibre. Um, but I believe that my word is this. This is what they are going to do. Uh, Sevilla Hevili, the Tongan um, number nine, who came out of the Dragons, is going to come on and play number nine for the first 25 minutes till the real sting goes out of the game. And then Aiden Caesar will come off the bench in num- jumper number 14. And so so Caesar will be 14 and, and we're thinking Sam Williams. Sam will, Williams will be seven. We'll get the nine. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? And, well, I believe this. My word is this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And is it a smokescreen that I'm getting out of there to confuse people? I don't know. They may be playing it, but this, this is a good word, and I certainly saw in the trial form they were looking at that. Yeah, the you guys know. on the... I heard the Canberra Times podcast the other day, and they were saying pretty much the same thing as well. So that's definitely the word that's being put out there. Yeah, and whether or not that's a smokescreen, I don't know. But I actually think it's a good option because... Aiden Caesar has good hands, has good kicking from dummy half, which is two of the things that um, Josh Hodgson gave. Will his defence be as good as Josh Hodgson's? Well, probably not. He's quite not. a unit, though, isn't he, Aiden Caesar? I mean, you and know, I think in the middle it will be better than when out in the backs where sometimes they've taken advantage of the fact that he, he can retreat in yeah. defence and players like Darius Boyd look for players that retreat in the, yeah. the defensive line and come at them. He he's like most of the the Raiders defenders has really improved out of sight. But Dean Pay was very good for them in that regard. But I think it will probably suit him more in the centre of the ruck because it's not a one on one tackling. It's situation. not that decision. It's just there's a big body running at you and you've just got to make your tackle. Yeah, and, and Aiden Caesar is not a coward. No, so I think he'll be fine there. But you know we're looking at with this. You know for mine our best player is Josh Hodgson. I'm seeing very encouraging signs about his recovery. Well, from the I mean, ACL. You, you, you think about the times that he's been injured prior to this, and every time you, he's hobbled off the field and you thought, oh, God, he's gone for like, yeah, you know, forever. four weeks, he's back playing the next week. He's obviously as tough as they come. Yeah, he is. Whether or not that's the best thing to be, though, when you're recovering from an ACL the thing is, is debatable. You don't want to rush back from one. He started running in February. Now, he didn't have that surgery until mid-December. So they left it from the end of November to mid-December. They left it the best part of three weeks, which is a very long time. Why was that? I don't know. It was incongruous. Usually, if you have a serious ACL, you do let it calm down, but you get surgery as fast as possible Mm. to bring forward the recovery as fast as possible. I am starting to suspect along those lines that it wasn't as serious an ACL injury as others have been. Um, and that perhaps we might see him earlier. Like initially they were talking August, then they've been talking June. I, I, I'm starting to think I wouldn't be surprised to see him in May. Yeah, I just would be hesitant to um, to rush him back because obviously moving forward, yeah, he is our best player. He is our most important player. Mm. Of all the players that we needed to re-sign, mm. you know, he was, he was, I think, the key one. Mm-hmm. Of everyone, he's the player that you can. You, we really can build our side around. Absolutely, and that, and that's why the Raiders have taken that five-year contract with him in the last one. Which are always dangerous five-year contracts. I mean, not in his case. He, he's 
Terry Campisi was a running, had to be a running player. And when he did his knee, that running game came to a halt. Josh yeah. Hodgson doesn't have to have that speed or explosive pace in, in that area. It's helpful. It'd be yeah. nice, but it's not essential. What he needs is the good ball distribution and the good cunning, the good ploys, the good body movement out of there. And he's got that in spades. That can still be done a little bit slower. Yeah. I, I sometimes, like, because he is our best player, I sometimes... Um, yeah, I think he needs to maybe have a bit more self-preservation because, you know, the back end of games in well, last year and the year before when Baptiste would come on and, and um, Hodgson would move, move, move to second row, he was taking, and especially in some of those tight sort of golden point games and stuff, he was taking some very, very tough runs. Yeah, and, and, and that's and what it is. <laughs> he's a very <laughs> admirable. But... And Coach Ricky said it about him. He's just a very, very tough pom. And it's, yeah. it is true. But, you know, what actually worries me a little bit is that it's so easy for us to say that Josh Hodgson is the best player in the side when the season before the dual Meninga medalist was Josh Hodgson and Josh Papali and I said um, to Mr Shirley the night be, the, the day before that uh, Meninga medal announcement he said who's going to win and I said I didn't know the surname but I knew the first name was Josh Yeah, and then it was proved when they tied for it <laughs> that I, it, was, it was a very good thing he had a poor season by his very high standards in 2017. He lost his Kangaroos jersey. He went off and played for um, Samoa. And I think we can expect a huge 2018. And there's two reasons for that. One, he'll be disappointed himself. But two, he's off contract. He's off contract. The Broncos are circling him. And he's going to want to make this contract as worth as much money as he possibly can. And I think he's in for a big one. I very much hope the Raiders can retain him because I think... He is a key or a linchpin to any future success. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's definitely one of our most talented players. He's been, you know, around long term. Um, there was also talk of Auckland Warriors being interested in him, but I don't know if that's just the one that gets thrown up for every off-contract player these days. Well, I think you only go to Auckland Warriors if it's at the end of your career and you're looking for one final payday. Yeah, Steve Price, uh, Ruben Wikistar. They did, but they <laughs> both did quite well. It, well, usually. they needed they needed to because Steve Price had blown all his cash on the pokies, hadn't he? And and well, Ruben oh, Wiki, that was that was. I still remember him walking around the the end of the field his last game, and it was, he was genuinely uh, very emotional. Yes, yes. Well, I see him coming on being the trainer for the Warriors. He's fitter than he's he, ever looked. I think he could still play. Yeah. He's the he's a mountain. Anyway, the other player that I think must lift in 2018 for the Raiders, the the player I think the most pressure is on, is young Joseph Lalua. He had a sensational 2016, but he had a poor 2017. He needs to get back to basics. He needs to do his hard running and his ball control and his discipline. He can't be shouting at referees and giving away penalties. He can't be trying to offload every ball all the time, such as he did in that Penrith loss, where he was profligate with his ball handing and lost us three balls for no particularly good reason when we were in control of the match and invited Penrith back into that game. And he needs to really focus on what he's great at, really hard ball running, which is what he's good at. And once he's got his head through, once we're in good field position, absolutely throw a good pass. But don't throw a pass within your own 20, trying to do the magic ball all the time. Yeah, I guess that probably is one of those things that came off so often in 2016, especially with, you know, Rapana in support. But Jordan um, Rapana did not have a poor team. No, he had a fantastic team. He had team. a great season. I honestly think, Last year, looking at Jordan Rapana, and I know that um, Sammy Rodrigo gets a lot of the accolades, but I would have Jordan Rapana over any other winger in the comp. Mm. And I can't honestly remember 
um, in all my times of watching the Raiders, I mean, we've had some outstanding wingers over the years, mm-hmm. but someone has had been so influential. He's had, you know, he had the outcome was was at his, uh, you know, he controlled the outcome of a number of mm-hmm. like key victories, you know, consistently. I, I agree with that. I would have said John Chicka Ferguson had as much impact. I would say Noah Andruku had as much impact. I think um, Kenny Nagus, that one period in 94 had, yeah. and maybe into 95, had had as much impact. There was a period with Leslie Vanacolo in 2001 oh, he was yeah, where he, was, he brilliant. was really, really good. So there's been a lot of very, very good wingers at the Raiders. And but, some pretty bad ones as well. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't go, we won't go into to Rick Kelly. Um, um, but having said that, I agree with you. I think um, he's gone from a player who was, who was playing for a contract... Well, it's and the, to a player who can pretty much name his price in his club. Exactly. Well, you, you look at like, you know, two of the, the most outstanding players of the last few years and, you know, Josh Hodgson and uh, Jordan Rapana, mm. they both pretty much fell into our laps with fairly low expectations. I mean, well... I think Peter Mulholland did some pretty good research for Josh Hodgson. I think that Yeah, but I, I honestly think that... Um, he would have exceeded even there. You know, oh, yeah, the club's totally. wildest. Absolutely, he did. Um, expectations. But yeah, they did. But th- that was, that's the whole thing. It's the last chance saloon sort of thing. And maybe not for Josh Hodgson, but it definitely was for Jordan Rapana. Yeah. You know, if this one doesn't work, what was going to work? But the great thing is, and you see the same thing with Josh Mansour, and he's, you were talking about Jordan being the best winger. Now, in last year, I would have put, I agree, I would have Jordan over semi because he's more consistent. Having said that, Semi is just as electric when he's on. Um, Josh Mansour is the other, the winger that I particularly Doesn't have, like. I, I mean, he's very physical. He's 100%. But, yeah, but he doesn't have, I don't think he has the skill. You don't see him doing sort of flying through the air. He doesn't do those flying through the air, putting the ball down yeah, on but a his, dime. His ball returns, are, they get Penrith consistently oh, look, back in the field position look, and I think, advantage. And there's no question that they had a resurgent the moment the bearded one yeah, walked back on the field. And, and he would have been a great pickup for us. But um, I think that uh, in 2018, I would not be surprised if Josh Mansour is, is, well, he's a lock for one of the New South Wales wing spots. Mm. But I also think that Nick Kotrick could get the other spot. Yeah. Because he's kind of similar. You could see that Bradford would be going, well, this is basically like having two more forwards. Yeah. Bringing the ball out of our own end. We have to be careful with young Nick. Um, he is... The first time I, I knowingly saw him play, I'd seen him out of the corner of my eye in the 20s during preparation for the first grade matches. But when the Raiders went and played Cronulla up in Cronulla in 2016 and Mick Ennis had to drop out of that side that day and the Raiders yeah. won... They he was playing the kangaroo side against Great Britain, and we hung around before we headed back to Canberra and watched the first twenty five minutes. I think he scored two tries, and I just knew he was a superstar from the moment I saw that. But where is he a superstar? Because the wing is a great place to start. Yeah, I mean the but same is way. He a Jack, fullback is a he center, a center or exactly. is he a five eight or like you said, is he a lock? Yeah, but the thing is, there's so much pressure on him, and he's actually got his head screwed on very well. He's a nice, relatable young man, and the word I have from my children, who actually knew people in the area, he's actually, you know, not a bad bloke. Yeah, as well. makes a nice change. Yeah, the the word I hear is is actually a decent human. When yeah. I talk to him, that that's that's rung true. Um, he's definitely got it all, and I think the, Ra- the Raiders' future going forward, a lot of it rests upon him and what he is able to provide to the side. Yeah, you know, like Jack White, and he's not going to stay on the wing forever. No, but he's also, also he's, he's big, he's growing, and he's also got more, you know, 
potential. Last season he was a kid no one knew. This yes. season everyone knows who Nick Kotrick is. So this season he gets marked more. So the second year syndrome can be there and how professional he is, how well he does, a lot of that counts on this year. So I'm not expecting the explosiveness we had from him last year. What we're looking is for is reliability and really fitting into that team structure and learning his craft because he's not surprising anyone. Everyone knows what he can do at this stage. It's how does he grind into the game mm. rather than explode into it. I mean, I could be wrong. He could be a Laurie Daly who just explodes for his entire career. Yeah. And I would love to see that. But I'm sure Rick will be thinking very carefully about making sure that kid is a long-term prospect yeah. rather than a flash in the pan. Definitely, definitely. Um, and so what do you think are some of the upcoming players to watch in 2018? Are there going to be any other... I mean, there's probably not going to be another breakout to the extent of Nick Kotrick, although I didn't even really see that coming. No, no, he was in my dream team from the moment it was picked. I knew he I knew he was that good. Um, look, there's two that I particularly he, got my eyes on that have come He in. was on your dream team from the moment Edric Lee dropped that ball in Melbourne and you knew Ricky just got a pen out and drew the line through Edric Lee's name and just wrote, you're dead to me, you'll never play again. Look, and having talked to Rick about this, Edric Lee dropped that ball after Jared Croker had done his knee and was not going to be able to play the next week, and after BJ Lalua had torn his hamstring and was not going to be able to play the next week, the reality of the situation was, as ugly as it was, any side, had we got through, any side that we put on that field was oh, at exceptionally long odds to win. Yes. You and, cannot and, replace both your centres and hope to go on. And we to be, and hope Brinko to beat Lee at one side yeah. and who was going to be on the other side. And hope to beat, you know, Cronulla in Cronulla. front of uh, 80,000... I mean, it would have been possible. Yeah. I just think it would have been unlikely. Um, and It'd I be think, nice to be in a grand final, though, even if we did lose. Yeah, I've heard a lot of Bulldog supporters say they just can't take another loss. <laughs> and, and I sort of get that feeling. And I, I said, coming to the AFL, you know, like, what's worse, you know, a Collingwood supporter who has to experience as many lost grand finals they have or a St Kilda supporter who's had to expose themselves to that many wooden spoons? Yeah. And it's a hard question yeah. because both hurt... One, the pain wears off. It's just a long-term disappointment, whereas the other one is a sharp heartbreak. So, look, would I have loved to get in there and actually see and hope maybe there was a, you know, like um, a fairy tale? Yeah, I would have. But a lot of people put a lot of things on Edric Lee dropping that ball. I know. He was, he was made a, to be a total scapegoat. I put yeah. a lot more, a lot more on Matt Chechen in that match. Sin binning Jack White and 35 metres out from his line. That was ridiculous. With a full defensive line behind him. Something Matt Chechen had never done all that season. Every single sin bin he had done that season had been within the defensive 20 with a scattered defensive line. Every single one. And yes, I am that nerd who keeps that stat. And he never, ever did anything like that. In fact, I can't remember anyone doing it like that. And then in the lead up to the try just after that, where Jordan McLean does a play the ball that any day of the week would have been called a knock-on in a normal match because he, he yeah. makes a pig's ear of it, and it's play on, they wanted Melbourne to win. And, you know, you don't sit around and say to yourself, these things are there, but I look at those two things and say to themselves, well, Matt, those two things, at very least, were out of character for you. Wouldn't it have been, though, like, I mean, I know, look, I'm in rugby league circles. I, I, I am, like most Raiders fans, I do feel as though we're persecuted, but... Hmm. Wouldn't it have been, from a ratings point of view or a fairy tale or NRL story point of view, wouldn't 2016 Raiders making the grand final have been more of a fairy tale for the NRL than, than Melbourne making another one? I've thought long and hard about this. It's a very good question. And I think the drawing star power 
of Smith, Cronk and Slater overwhelms that because people will come on. It's like um, with the recent Super Bowl. You might not like Tom Brady, but you know he's great and you're going to watch him. Yeah. And you knew who he was. Yeah, he's the and one you were happy the other one yeah. was. But, and that's why I sort of think that was there. Now, I, I don't actually really think Matt Chechen is corrupt. I really don't. I think he's as honest as the day is long. I just think those two decisions were incongruous. Yeah. But my point is, Eddie Lee got a lot of stick for that drop ball. And yes, he's subsequently gone out and done it. Again, um, in that Newtown horrible drop, if you saw that. I think it's, kind of, it's, it's sad because he's obviously, you know, whether we'll even see him play first grade again, I, I doubt it. And, and that's the thing. It's a bit sad. But um, I don't think, I think you're right. I don't think we're going to see any, you know, magnificent up and comes but this who, year. But who, who have you got your eye on? Young Jack Murchie, born in Batemans Bay, uh, played juniors with Milton Ulladulla. He's a second row who stood out in the under-20s comp, and hopefully he'll make the transition to first grade. Now, the question always coming out of the 20s competition, now defunct, is defence. Yeah. Can you tackle? Because uh, young Croker, who's now up at Manly, was fantastic in the 20s, really fantastic, but a speed bump I never saw, I've never, like, I really wanted to sort of see something in him and I just haven't seen it I mean who knows what he'll do at Manly the attack but was fantastic it was just the fact of and and Billy Moore who I know uh, basically says you know if you haven't learned to tackle by the time you're 20 you ain't gonna yeah and and that's that's one of the things and you think back to 1989 with Brad Clyde at the age of 19 years old picking up the Clive Churchill medal against you know Steve Roach Paul Siren and Benny Elias and you think to yourself, he could tackle. He yeah, was locked forward at that stage. Okay, now he's a freak. Yeah. But what we're looking at here with Jack Murchie, if he makes this transition in, he's a big body, he's fast, he was very good in the under-20s, he's played rep football at the junior levels. That often doesn't translate, but would be nice if it did this time. The other one that I'm looking at, and I've got huge hopes for, is coming straight out of Wallington, New Zealand, is Charlie Gullah. He's turning 8, 28 this year. This is this is the peak time in for a, a prop. prop. Yeah, definitely. 27 through to 31 is when, if you're going to be great, those are the years you really seize it. Coming into the three-man rotation, because you know Paulo's great. He started doing great minutes last year. He mm. was doing 55 minutes. Impressive. For, for a guy carrying the amount of weight that he does, and he was carrying a few too many kgs, but he was carrying them, and he was running, and he was doing his work, and he wasn't missing his tackles. No, I thought he was good. And Shannon Boyd had a quieter year last year. He was year, disappointing. But he won't be this year. And he's very much like a bull when he gets the defensive line. A bull against your fence. He'll run up to it. He doesn't plow into it. But then he leans against it and pushes it over. Yeah. And it is a wonderful way to do it because he is he has that gut strength. Charlie Gubb is, is a little bit taller than both of them, uh, but a little bit leaner again. And he's going to be probably a more wide-running player in there I've got very high hopes for what he brings into the side very high hopes indeed and what about a um, couple of the, the sort of recent acquisitions Adahingane what what role do we think we, he's going to play I think he's come on board he's he's an, another halves option yeah. they're basically getting a lot of halves that are coming in here now that are basically um, can cover halfback that can cover um, hooker that can cover 5-8 that at a pinch could go into the second row onto a wing into fullback He's going to feel that. He played quite well for Tonga in the um, uh, recent World Cup. Yeah. And what I've seen from the Warriors was okay. So he, he's definitely worth a look. He's come over because when they signed Blake Green, it was against what they said they were going to do. And he went, well, you've yeah. broken my trust. Yeah. And if we but get the, something the, out of that, the, that's great. I guess the thing is, you know, he sort of was, he left because he was down the pecking order there. But mm. where's he fit in the pecking order here? And um, the thing I was sort of wondering about is, in light of the fact that um, he's going to be 
potentially playing off the bench, Aiden Caesar. Is this the last year for Aiden Caesar, do you think? I mean, the fact that you can't imagine he's going to be too happy about losing the seven jumper. And then the fact that they're happy to relegate him to the bench. And then if, if Josh Hodgson does return in May or June, who's number seven? Obviously, it depends on how Sam Williams performs. Well, I tell you, this is exactly the headache that Ricky Stewart was dying for last year and he yeah. didn't have. It was the he- headache that he did have. Steve Antonelli, the, the coach of the Mounties, looked at me last year and said, you know, the difference between this year and last year is I had Paul Vaughan, Sean Fenson and Sam Williams in this side, and they were all really wanting to get back in that first grade yeah. side. They were all putting pressure on. I don't think Ricky's going to be upset about every single one of his halves and hooker hookers really pressing to get back in that side and playing at the top. There's nothing like competition of to bring out the best in a player. I think this could be the making of Aiden Caesar. It'll be interesting. I mean, there's talk that he's, you know, might go back to the Bulldogs, his junior club, but... That's what his mother wants. His mother was very upset the Bulldogs let him go in the first instance, was right. very upset he went to the Gold Coast, was a little bit happy that he came down to Canberra because she comes down and watches every match. Ah. Every match, she's in the crowd for every match. I, look, lady. I don't think he's been terrible, and I think that some people are, are maybe overly critical, and he has done some all right things, but ultimately he hasn't been the sort of the, the white knight that I hoped he was going to be. On the back of 2015 where, you know, We'd lost a lot of games, but we lost again. We lost a lot of games, very close games. I thought, this guy is going to be the clutch player. He's going to be the guy that's going to get him get us home at the end. Mm. He's going to be kicking those vital field goals. I don't know. How, how many field goals did he kick in the end? I don't really recall any. I know <laughs> Sam Williams kicked some, and I know... Um, I, I think Blake this, Austin kicked some, or there was the one that he missed that then turned the, into the, a try. But, Palmer scored <laughs> a try. But look... I think this will be the making of Aiden Caesar because he now knows what his challenge is and he said himself he's happy to play. He wants to play first-team football and he'll do whatever the coach tells him to do. And that 40-20 he played against St. George at Lawara last year was that fantastic. Was good. If he's doing that sort of thing at a dummy half... That'd be great. That would be fantastic, would it not? And he can do that sort of thing. I, I think this could be the But when was the last time you saw a, a half successfully moved to number nine in the modern era because I can't really think of any. Well, Camp Smith was a halfback. Yeah, but maybe a junior level. But I mean, in, in recent in recent times where we've, we've reinvented a... Remember when people were calling for Josh McCrone to go to, to hooker? Yeah. It, it didn't work out too well. Didn't work out, no, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you might have a point there, but I think Aiden Caesar might be the one to break the mould. It'd be great. It'd be great if he did. So It'd we've got a few re-signing priorities in uh, this season. Uh, the biggest one, without any question, is Josh Papali. He's being circled by the Broncos and he's vital to success both this season and long-term for the Raiders. Yes. Well, there's, there's a huge amount of players off contract. But like I said, Josh Hodgson was, was my number one re-signing priority. And I'd say that um, Josh Papali would definitely be number two. Yeah. And... I've been worried that the Broncos would come knocking for quite a long time because obviously the, the, he's from Brisbane. He's one of the, the Logan players. One of the Logan players is still here. All the others seem to have left in uh, Milford. And, or have been dispatched. And, yeah, Edric Lee and Brenko Lee. Most of them have actually been dispatched. But yeah, the, the lure of, of the Broncos is obviously huge, you know. Playing in front of 40,000 people every Friday night. Milford, who's one of his best mates, is up there. You know, and they've got the money to splash, and they need forwards like him. Yes, they need exactly what he yes. is. And plus, um, Sam Friday's this is definitely his last year. Trundle down to the Gold Coast for another year or two, but he's definitely Sam, his cards marked at the Broncos. Sam Friday is a is a wide running uh, bench forward now, and uh, Josh Papali is a starting second rower. 
Yeah. And, and, and he commands that money. If the Raiders want to keep him, they're going to have to do it. But what, what Ricky said about all these players and the other players I'm looking at for re-signing priorities that I think are really urgent priorities are Josh Papali, Shannon Boyd. And I throw Sia Soliola in that one, not because we're going to have to compete hard to keep him, but I think we should keep him. Yeah. I think he's really good at the club. He's one of the nicest gentlemen I've met in the game of rugby league. He hasn't performed as well, though, in the in the last... Well, when what year did he come? He had a good 2015, had a pretty good 2016. It's 2017, apart from the fact that he spent a lot of it suspended. Wasn't great, was it? Um, I think he's as honest a footballer as you'll get, and you always know. I think he's a bench player now. Yeah, but I think he's a very worthwhile bench player and with great experience there. I don't think you're going to throw him at lock anymore. No, but you'd certainly be able to throw him in. So for we'll, a second we'll, Whitehead is, is now. I'd say Whitehead's almost a lock for lock. Lock. Where did he play in the World Cup final? Oh, he was playing second row. Second row. He was brilliant in that, wasn't he? Yeah, he was fantastic. Um, and and he's come of age, so he's another. If we haven't already got his signature Whitehead? in a long time, he's re-signed. Yeah, I, yeah, that would that would definitely be one. Yeah. But Shannon Boyd, he's a local boy. He's superb prop. Uh, and he needs to be retained. I can't see him going anywhere. I can't see him. There's certain people that would be attracted to the bright lights of Bondi or the yeah. Gold Coast. I just can't see... Not you the know, boy from Cowra. No. no. If, but, if if he can't drive his ute to like um, somewhere nearby to kill a pig, you know, he's probably just not that interested. I don't know if he's a pig hunter. I don't know if he's a pig hunter. <laughs> he is. But, <laughs> no, right. Well, the, the, what Ricky's basically said and the rest of the recruitment is we're really recruiting in early season based on people's form. So if they, yeah. they show up, we're going to be showing them the money. And that's been made clear to Blake Austin. That's been made clear to Shannon Boy. That's been made clear to Aidan Caesar. And that's a bit of a dangerous game because other clubs could come in and put an offer they can't refuse, get rid of all the speculation and steal them out from under your nose. But at the other end, what you really do need is competition for spots and people proving their worth to the club. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I think, like, Austin I would like to see stay. I think of Caesar and Austin, I think he's more likely to stay, want to stay, because he seems to be a bit more sort of settled in Canberra and a bit more sort of invested. Um, Caesar, I'm not sure about. But um, generally, like, I think that since we've had Mulholland, Peter Mulholland on board as the, the recruitment manager, he's done a fantastic job. Yeah. Right, he's right. really pulled off some interesting coups along the way, some great signings. And um, just when you hear him speak, he just seems very knowledgeable, very thoughtful, very, calm. very switched on, yeah, very calm. And fairly popular with the uh, the other players. You know, comes out of the St. Greg's system as well. So, yeah. um, like, he's really well-based in the world of rugby league and always has been. Yeah. Um, I believe he was also working um, with the Arendale side, which Brett Finch was in when they won the uh, oh, right. when the, the schoolboys competition yeah. all those years ago as well. So he's been around and he's seen a lot of stuff, so he's very, very good. Now, you wanted to talk about third parties here. Well, I mean, third parties along with... You know, now the whole Matthew Lodge thing's blown up big time, so that's sort of sucked up all the oxygen. But leading into um, this season, I think third parties have come up again and there's been talk that, you know, the NRL will review or do something to make them more transparent. Did you write something recently? Did I read something you wrote recently about third parties? Or was that the... Well, the, the idea, and this has been a call that um, uh, GE from the Greenhouse has made, and I, I, I absolutely agree with him too, but he, he voiced it first and I agreed with him, was... What they really need to do isn't necessarily get rid of third parties initially, it's just to publish 
what teams have how much in value of third parties. They don't need to give the specific details, the commercial and confidence stuff, yeah. but to actually show this team has X amount of value in third parties, that team has Y amount, and so on. So you can actually see whether it is because there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of speculation about salary cap cheating. There's yeah. a lot of speculation about third parties. There's a lot of speculation about brown bags. Of course, there always will be. There always has been. There always will be. But right now, it's a fever pitch. And the instant the Roosters talk about signing anyone... I know. And, it, and they have just signed them. Um, Baptiste, which is kind of <laughs> ironic. But he's, he's, he's not the sort of player we're talking about because no. he's not very expensive. But when you actually look at James Tedesco or a Cooper Cronk, of they're course. extremely expensive. And, and then you have to moderate and, that by saying... And then you're throwing Angus Crichton in next year as well. That's and, right, but that's next year. Yeah. And at present, you've got rid of Kane Evans, Mitchell Pearce, Aidan Guerra, um, Connor Watson. There's been a lot of value actually walk out the door that's as well. That's what they always say. And you know, Nick Plyce comes out and says, we're just better. Has. Yes, but we're just better at running our salary cap than everyone else. And Which is better in flame, <laughs> inflame everybody, and it does. But when you actually sit back and, and do it, the only way we can do it is by actually having something that's more transparent. I understand the that, but more transparent that actually lists things and having you know the deals put up so people can actually see the levels. Because if it's indefensible, then then everyone will know, but I, and it would have to change. But if it is defensible, then yeah. we have to say, well, maybe Nick Politis is right, and yes. I know no one wants to say that, and I especially don't want to say that. But we have to consider it's a possibility. He's probably right to an extent. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you sort of turn on your, your, your game on TV and they said, this team's worth 12 million and this team's worth 7 million. Half the people just kind of like go, well, maybe, and, and well look, and maybe that's the point. Maybe it isn't a fair contest and people and should know that. The question be. is, are the West Tigers actually able to spend all their salary cap? If you look at their list and you compare it to the list of the, the Roosters, yeah. You would un- you would un- not understand how both are at nine point four million. Yeah, but I mean, I guess they've 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 signed two pretty good props. They've probably paid a lot for. They paid you know Josh Reynolds a lot of money. Yeah, but Brooks is none there. Of them, none of them are A grade stars. Whereas Tedesco and Cronk are oh, A grade stars. Ridiculous. And and Russell Packer is is not an A grade star. He just is not. And but you, you but they would be paying him A grade star money, which is the whole which is the thing about the Raiders. And Josh exactly. McParley, Raiders, the Raiders should keep Josh McParley because realistically, he's worth more to us than he's worth to just about any other club. So mm. we'll offer him more money. Yeah, that's why I, he'll stay. And I absolutely think he's a player that you help base it, you build a club around. I, I think he's a priority. I think he should be paid what it takes to keep him. Um, and I think he, that should be made clear to him very early. I mean, only the most diabolical form from him would be um, something that would make me even rethink that. And I just can't imagine it. Yeah. Even, even Papa in ordinary form. Overweight. Overweight is but still a first have you been player to, Have you club. been to training or have you seen the players beyond the, the trial? Have you seen his condition that, lately? No, I have not. The last time I saw him was at the World Cup. When I was at training pre-Christmas, he wasn't back from Samoa yet. Right. Um, so I didn't see him. What I did hear was the three Samoan boys came back. Um, yeah, very. It's funny how Tonga took the World Cup so seriously. Yeah, got so much out of it. Yeah. the players got so much out of it. 
the Tongan, you know, community got so much out of it. And then you think Samoa could have would have really done the same that. thing. And they just didn't. And there was there was an essential difference in approach. Because when you looked at this their, their size. Comparable. They were absolutely comparable. The the one thing that Sia said to me was that um, the halves. The halves for Tonga were better than the halves for Samoa and that's But I mean that's always were. that's always the case with um, those Islander teams. You know, you get great outside backs, great forwards, but it's always the halves. And that's almost by virtue of the fact that, you know, if you look at the NRL not every team, even club side has, there's only so many great halves to go around yeah, and not right. every even great club side. And even with um, the New Zealand league team as well, it's usually, you know, the halves where they struggle. Mm. But going back to third parties, when you actually think about it, a third party deal, people out there who might own businesses of one side, it doesn't have to be a great big thing. And if, but you, this is, this if is, you love your Camberators and you are thinking to yourself, gee, I could use one of those players to help promote my business in some way, shape, are you, or form. Are you trying to say this to me? No, not necessarily <laughs> just to you, bloke. Not, just, not necessarily just to you, but any other person who's running a business. If you love your Raiders, there's, there's nothing to stop you saying, going down and saying to you know, young Sam Williams, gee, I'd love to get your face on my poster here to help me, you know, sell this and I'll give you X amount of dollars. But I don't think, I think in the current system that the third parties aren't really supposed to go through the clubs. No, they don't. But, and but the clubs can, when you inquire about it, point you in the direction well, of the and this, this is this is this is the whole grey area of the third parties and this is where my whole third party idea comes in. Because the argument um, against abolishing third parties is, well, if Powerade want to sponsor uh, Billy Slater to the tune of $500,000 a year, why should he not be entitled to that? And I agree with that 100%. But the majority of the third parties that get done and all these, you hear, you just sort of get a glimpse of all this stuff through various sort of negotiations, a bit like the sort of James Maloney going to Penrith thing. And and you also hear about players wanting to leave clubs because they've been promised these third party deals by various shonky businessmen that never eventuate. So what my plan would be... And, and you saw that happen at Newcastle yeah. where a lot of people weren't getting paid their money and basically shut down because... And, and, it, and it ruins you know, the, the Tinkler era yeah. because when that money didn't show up, it's a professional sport. So my plan for third parties is they don't go through the clubs at all. If you're a big company, you want to sponsor... If you're Powerade and you want to sponsor Billy Slater, you approach the NRL. It goes through the NRL. The NRL either approves it or they don't. And then they pay that money to Billy Slater. So if Billy Slater decides in two years' time he wants to change clubs, but he's got a four-year deal with Powerade, well, he's still getting that money. It's not guaranteed by the club. It's nothing shonky. And, you know, with all the Manly current um, That's salary... That's actually a ridiculously good idea. Yeah, with, with Manly's current um, salary... Did you think stuff, about that yourself? Or did yeah, someone... today. No, it's entirely my own work. Really? But, um, yeah. no, no one told yeah. you? Yeah. Um, I just good. thought about today, which is why I added it onto our, our talking points. But um, so with the Manly stuff, you know, Tom Simons was getting paid $20,000 a year by some local car dealer. Hmm. Now, what local car dealer in their right mind legitimately wants to pay Tom Simons $20,000 a year to be seen in one of their cars? Like legitimately, that isn't some sort of like mate's deal or whatever through the club Shonky, you know what I mean? So well, I'm, saying- I'm not going to cast aspersions, but I thought Tom Simons was actually a pretty good player. Personally, I was very surprised when he left. I actually yeah. had huge raps on him. Bondi bon- 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 United Junior. The first the first actual true Roosters um, junior since Brian Fletcher and they got rid of him. They got rid of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now, Luke Rickardson was a well I guess he was a bit before, but Luke Rickardson was a was a an actual since. They were a very rare beast. Yeah. But uh, no, I thought he was a good player. Look, 
there are certain players that I've loved. Like it, historically, my favourite player was Steve Walters. Was he the the glamour boy of that particular era? No, he wasn't. He was just the player that appealed to me. And perhaps that car dealer had the same sort of relationship with Tom Simons. Yes, it's unlikely though. But I it's am. I, I completely agree with. The I saw the list. Third party going through the NRL is yeah. a very good idea. Yeah. But you would have to give the NRL a cut. So they could actually have a person in place to do that job because they're a bit well, shy cash on. There'd top. be a small, there'd be a small admin fee, but it, a big company would approach the NRL and it would go through that way. Because, like I said, what I about have a small no company. I just think those sort of deals, like see, there will be some small local companies who it makes a hell of a lot of sense for you to oh in Newcastle or something a local Newcastle or to for someone down in Camden to sponsor Russell Packer at the at the um, West Tigers because it's local to them. But the instant they moved. Well, they wouldn't be interested in that yes. person anymore because he's not in that market. Well, it's, it's not. It's not a perfect. Um, you know, it's got to be worked out. You're talking about big national companies. Yeah, but I, and yeah, and what I'm saying is the whole argument is that we no one says, you know, we don't want um, Blake Austin to be sponsored by a local car dealer. You know, what, what when the, when they bring up the argument, they say we don't want Jonathan Thurston to miss out on five hundred thousand dollars a year from Nike. We don't want Cameron Smith to miss out on the Carlton. Money, you know what I mean? So I just think get rid of these sort of grey area. We're a sponsor yet. We're not a club sponsor type of third parties because this is where all the dramas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I see it. I, I think that's, that's, that's worth putting to it. Now, before we, um, before we sign off, uh, the return of using the Green Machine song for the players' run out. Uh, you know, the highway to hell, I personally, as you know, love ACDC. The original lineup with Bon Scott is, is to me... Some of Australia's greatest ever rock. Oh, without doubt. Um, and that particular song, the way it arcs up at the beginning, I do think is a great song for revving up. But I remember thinking the first time I thought it, I hope this isn't prophetic that we are on the highway to hell, but it <laughs> ended up that in fact that it was. I always thought maybe it's a long way to the top would have been a better way to come out. But going back to the Green Machine song, it's very good, you know, because it actually belongs to the side. Now, there's a great story about this when North Sydney came down to play in the height of the Raiders' heyday in the 90s. And Billy Moore and his teammates are standing out there on a Friday night about to get very cold and the song is playing for the players about to run out and Billy Moore started dancing around and moving his feet and Gary Larson told him off for it and he, said, and he turned around to Gary and said, mate, really catchy <laughs> and, and I think in spite of the fact it's the worst of the early 80s sort of commercial sort of rock yeah it is I think it's a great song and I really enjoy it I think they should bring it back I, I'm a big fan or alternatively and this is this is a bit of left wheel thinking going with the Viking clap going with the Viking horn going with the, the Raiders and you know that whole thing perhaps cut running out to Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song would also be a very good match not a bad one but I think one. going back to the Green Machine song is the, a very good. Yeah, thing. so the, so the actual um, the songwriter of the of the bad mean Green Machine song uh, will be blowing the big horn at the first home game of the season, and it was written and performed by Les Gock, who is the uh, one of the leaders of seventies sort of um, glam uh, glam teen idols Hush. Mm. And um, I remember reading this story in the Camera Times. It must have been around the. 2008, the 25th anniversary of the Raiders. Well, it must have been 2007, 25th anniversary of the Raiders. Um, and they actually contacted him to ask him about the song the Camp Times contacted him. He had zero recollection of, of, of writing the song, of performing the song. He's like, I've done literally thousands and thousands of jingles because he's worked doing radio commercials since the Hush days. He had absolutely no recollection of it. 
Well, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> so it's a meaningful song, people out there. So when you're dancing, it really, really touched a chord in him and he really song, put his best work in. You know, the song that I've always has had a fondness in my heart is actually the original, We Are The Canberra Raiders. Yeah, I've heard that and, and uh, it, it, it bears no place in my heart. Anyway, um, with the We Are The Canberra Raiders song, there was one, was one for many years, it was my great dream that they would um, revive that song and they'd play it at a game. And um, I kind of thought it could be it could be a bit like a, you know up up Cronulla, or it could be a bit like you know the AFL, the end of the game. If you win, all the crowds sing along the traditional song. And then about five years ago, out of the blue, one Saturday night, we won a game and it came on, and I was just beaming. I was so happy. I walked to my car. I was so happy. I got in, turned on the ABC radio, and it, the lines were just running hot with just people complaining. What was that terrible song that they played? <laughs> Why did they play it? And I hope they never play it again. And I was shattered. And not only that, Angel Marina was like the co-host on the radio that night. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what that song was, but it was terrible. It's like, mate, that was the song when you played. Yeah, no, Angel, like, wasn't, probably, Angel wasn't paid to play attention to the PA. Mate. He, he, he probably only experienced three or four victories in his, in his Raiders career. So that's probably did why... Did they not win four in that first season? Well, anyway... He probably didn't experience that many, so he probably didn't hear the victory song that many times. That's his own excuse as far as I can see. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Anyway, it has been absolutely wonderful discussing all things Raiders with you this evening. And I hope anyone who's stuck with us towards the end has also enjoyed it. Uh, This has been Blake and the Pork signing off.